Welcome to the Rethinker Podcast. Um, if you've spent any time on any of these podcasts, you'll realize that we are looking at and kind of delving deeper into Scripture, into parables, into insights in the Bible, um, into just overall spiritual realities, and looking at them at a deeper level, and in certain cases, kind of rethinking some things. Now, we got pretty deep in the last three podcasts, which was a series called Debugging a Fallen World. This is kind of a continuation of that, but it's a, a little lighter and a little more fun, but you will get a lot more out of it if you listen to those three podcasts. Today, we are going to rethink God's terminology of the land of milk and honey. Okay, so when God promised the uh, Israelites this new land that they were going into, he gave the land a marketing slogan. He called it the land of milk and honey. Now let's stop and think for just a second. Supposedly the God that created the entire universe and crafted and controls all language is giving his personal bus marketing pitch for the most prime real estate to him, at least he says this, on the planet. And how does he describe the location? Taken at face value, it's the land of bees and cows. Okay, granted, honey was valuable and an electrical commodity at the time. Solomon refers to it in the Bible. Um, says it's worth more than gold and worth more than wisdom, and so he kind of claims it as wisdom. Ancient civilizations, beer, bees were revered over slaves. And in ancient Egypt, honey was used in over 500 medicinal remedies. Milk, uh, obviously, is a valuable necessity as well. It is the uh, central ingredient found in dairy products. It's back, it was, back then, it probably was bacterially safer than drinking water. So they both, both descriptions hold value. But why did he refer to their future residents at the land, as the land of bees and cows? Obviously, milk and honey sounds a little bit better, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to correlate the byproduct with the product. There were a lot of other things he could have called it. He could have called it the land overflowing with wine because that would have resonated with the people. He could have called it the land of endless salmon. I don't know. If I'd been co- in, you know, in control of the marketing pitch, I'd refer to it as the land of countless gold and precious stones. After all, that was enough of a marketing slogan for the original Spanish and French explorers to sell all their possessions, kiss family and friends farewell, and venture off past the uncharted horizon with no prior knowledge of their sail route and just a minuscule chance of surviving the voyage. What was God thinking with the land of bees and cows? It would seem that in his infinite wisdom and understanding of the language that he invented, he could have used a much more powerful metaphorical descriptor. I mean, let's get real, okay? Were the Israelites, when they moved in, bragging about the fact that there were ubiquitous bovines and endless bees' nests in their area? Okay, we could say, well, maybe it was a description that had been used before about good land, but no other geographic locale had ever been described in such manner. And more strikingly, It was God who authored it into language at the burning bush. He said to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. It's also highly unlikely that the Israelites themselves would have understood the context. In fact, during a low point in their journey, two defiant brothers came against Moses and their former slave land and called their former slave land of Egypt flowing with milk and honey. And God was so upset about it, the entire... The, uh, an earthquake happened, and they all were swallowed up, and basically them and their families all perished. Okay, the Israelites stumbled and grumbled through the desert, clueless about this meaning, but God was laser accurate in his description. There are only two items on the planet that symbiotically correlate to his intended message for his people's inheritance, and those two things are milk and honey. Now, what do I mean? 
Okay, let's go back to what we learned in the last podcast, okay? God designed the world in a perfect pre-fall state. He designed man in that state to live through forever from eating from the tree of life. But man rejected that system, and he was ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and was thrust into a world full that can bind sin with entropy. And please listen to these podcasts to so understand what I'm talking about. Man now endured life in a post-fall world, but what did we learn next? God, in his infinite love, wanted to redeem man back to his original pre-fall state. So he couldn't change the system if he allowed it to be open source. He couldn't rewrite the code. But he gave humanity through the Israelites a new set of code that was designed to circumvent these post-fall law of sin and death and create, once again, the very best pre-fall manner possible inside of this new post-fall world. God's intent for humanity was to live forever, but this new opportunity for humanity was for man to live as optimally, as prosperous as he could inside this post-fall world. Now, what does that have to do with bees and cows? The U.S. Department of Agriculture every year releases a daily food intake recommendation for Americans. It's compiled of a food pyramid. On the bottom of the food period is bread, cereal, rice, and pasta. The department recommends 6 to 11 servings of these high-carb items per day. On the second rung are fruits and vegetables. Third rung, we land in the dairy rung, milk, yogurt, ice cream, cheese groups. Finally, the fish, meat, poultry, beans, and eggs. We are given two to three recommended daily servings, and that's on the top. So with the addition of fatty, oil, and sweet products, they make up the entire menu of consumable food items that you can eat daily. Now, why does that matter? Because here is the definable characteristic for nearly all of them. To be consumed, they must die first. This is obvious with animals such as beef, poultry, fish, and the like, but it is identical with nearly every other product. Peanuts are crushed and pulverized for peanut butter. Grapes are annihilated for juice and jelly. Tomatoes, basils, and mushroom face veggie genocide for Aunt Flora's famous spaghetti sauce. Although the chicken that laid the egg does not die, the embryonic offspring or the little baby chicken does. Now, I'm not trying to attempt to turn all my readers into vegans, but to point out a powerful phenomenon. The cycle of death continues for every single food product we place in our mouths and ingest in our stomachs, except two. The only two living organisms on this planet that are not destroyed when mankind consumes their food for product is bees and cows. Milk is taken from the cow and the cow suffers no harm. Bees produce honey unscathed. As much sweet nectar as we consume and as many milk mustaches align the face of smiling children, the bee and the cow that produce them continue to live. Metaphorically, milk and honey are the only two eternal food products on our entire planet. For us to continue to exist, every other food product must die and be eliminated except for bees and cows. The land of enormous grapes was inaccurate and lacking, as was my land of endless gold and precious stones. The Israelites' inheritance was not a land overcrowded with bovine and stinging insects. It was a picture of a land meant to birth eternal life. Let me be abundantly clear. I did not say the land held eternal life. The inheritance God gave the Israelites was not the land. It was the law system that could reproduce the best possible outcome for humanity that was now living in a post-fall world. 
The outcome of that law system had been designed so it would be a beacon of light to the rest of the world. While the nations, other nations continue to suffer under the effects of the fall, Israel was to stand out as healthier and more vibrant than any other nation and point other nations back to their law system and to the God that lovingly had designed it. So while all the other nations were raving and partying and having a good time, the Israelites were going to be prospering and vital and healthy and powerful. And it was going to point all these other nations going, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why is Israel so prosperous? It would point them back to the law system that was provided and then back to the law giver that gave that law system. Remember Jesus' comment about being a city set on a hill, a lamp that should never be placed under a bushel? Israel, not just through its actions, but through the outcomes of practicing the law, would broadcast to the rest of the world the God of milk and honey, the God of eternal life. Let's look at honey one more time just to clarify. We realize that neither honey nor milk consumes its host, but honey furthers the slogan. This is taken from an amazing facts page from the goldenblossomhoney.com website. Number one, honey never spoils. No need to refrigerate it. It can be stored unopened indefinitely at room temperature in a dry cupboard. Number two, honey is one of the most oldest foods in existence. It was found in the tomb of King Tut and was still edible since honey never spoils. Now, honey, for all intensive purposes, is eternal. Or better yet, honey, if protected, isn't affected by the fall. It was God's promised land, not just because it was promised to the Israelites. It was the promised land because it was also to contain God's pre-fall solutions for a post-fall world. And milk and honey was the marketing slogan God used to prove it. It was the only slogan God could have used. God wasn't just sending them into a good land geographically or agriculturally, but into a land which they were to practice his milk and honey ordinances, and in doing so, display the wondrous outcomes to the rest of the world. We already discovered that this was diluted by uh, not adhering to it and turning into much more than a moral code, which meant its power was stifled. But as modern-day believers, it's time for us to recognize the purpose of God's slogan of milk and honey and pick up the mantle. All right, I hope that was a lot more fun. I hope that really clarified some things for you. That blew my mind when I kind of discovered that in Scripture. Um, and uh, hopefully it did yours too. Again, if you listen to the last three podcasts, it's going to make a little more sense, but hopefully uh, standing on its own, it was still pretty exciting. Um, Just want to let you know you can reach me in a number of different ways, but one of those ways is to go to the website at davidwlitwin.com, which is kind of my author and uh, life site. You can uh, see who I am, kind of get a 360-degree view of who I am, what I do, and what I believe. Um, You can also reach me on email, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can find that information there. So have a glorious and wonderful day. Remember always to live inspired.